You're listening to the Relationship-Centered Learning Podcast, a podcast to inspire and empower you to be a difference maker in a dysfunctional educational system. Hear weekly from adults and students who are having a radical impact in the education space as they share from their minds and hearts, giving us practical tools that we can take back to our classrooms and campuses. Here to take you outside the educational box is author, disruptor, and your host, Kevin Curtis. Hey, welcome back to the show, everyone. On today's episode, I am interviewing Adam DeWitt. Adam is a husband, father, principal, and co-host of the Principal Leadership Lab podcast. You need to check that out. Adam describes how his career has been shaped by one main lesson. If it's best for kids, try it. And if it doesn't work, simply don't do it again. Adam is in a unique nomad administrator position leading multiple campuses in the Oncanto School District behind the Wisconsin Cheddar Curtain. If you're looking for insight, not to just lead one campus, but leading two or more, you'll want to check this episode out. Hey, thanks for tuning in. Let's get started. Welcome to the Relationship Center Learning Podcast, where we put relationships at the center of all learning. I am super proud to finally get Mr. Adam DeWitt on the show today. Welcome, Adam. Thank you, Kevin. It's great to be here. Absolutely, brother. Hey, I'm so glad we finally made this happen. But just like every episode, before we can jump into today's content, we got to make sure that we do the right connection. So connect before content. So we do that in the flip five GTKY format. I'll ask you five GTKY questions. Adam, you flip back five back at me. So question number one, simple this. What's the weirdest thing that I would find in your refrigerator? Oh, multiple levels of hot sauce. Really? I guess it's not that weird, but. Oh, okay. But that's right. We're a family of hot sauces and we like different hot sauces for different things like Cholula for eggs and Tabasco for chili. So you got to mix it up. Okay. Who is the last person to make you laugh or smile this week? Mm -hmm. I'm going to go with a a good friend of ours as well. His name is Dr. Jeffrey Prickett. How does that man always sneak into my show? I just don't don't know. know. I mean, (laughs) like a bad itch. just doesn't go away. He doesn't, right? Okay. So what is your favorite holiday of the year? I love Thanksgiving. It's a little bit more low key. You don't have all the hustle and bustle of gifts and having to go to this place and that place. And it's also in Wisconsin, it's centered around deer season. So it's family, (laughs) it's deer hunting without all the presents. So it's kind of like Christmas without presents. I love it. Okay. All right. So who, who, when you look at it has in your part of your life, who has really shaped like a big part of who you are? Is it a parent? Is it a, is it a sibling? Is it somebody for that? Who, who do you really kind of give a little bit of credit to, to not fully shape, but just who, who's really guided to who Adam is today? Well, the good news for me, and I know not everybody can say this, but I've had a lot of people invest in me. So I, I'm blessed to be able to have that opportunity and advantage that many people don't. But I'm going to stick to, I'm going to exclude my parents because that's too easy because they both have invested a lot of time, energy, Absolutely. money, you know, bailing me out of jail, all of those things. That's what my parents do, right? No, I'm just kidding. But my grandmother, her name was Helen Gazelle, and she used to babysit after school. And uh, she she helped fill the gap between when mom and dad would get home from work to the time that supper started. And she's the one taught me about spitting, how to spit for playing baseball. She taught me how to be a Cubs fan in an era where the Cubs lost every game. So I learned a lot from her. That's awesome, brother. You know, I always tell people, I wish, I only never met either of my grandfathers. They both had passed away by the time, I guess, I was an infant still. Never got to meet him. And then my mother, my grandmother, my dad's mom, I only met her one time at a family wedding. And other than that, it was my mom's mom and she, and she passed away and I was 15. And we, we saw her, but 
I never really had those grandparent experiences. And, oh, yeah. and so I, I'm very, really honest, I'm very envious of the relationship and that maturation and those, those connections that people have with their grandparents. I think it's amazing. I just wish I, I could know what that felt like. So thank you for sharing that. That's awesome. Bet. I still right. have one grandmother left. Uh, and, so, and I'm almost 50. And I still have a grandmother that is alive and well. And she just left for Florida for the winter. So she is, she's getting up there in age, but she is far from done kicking. She is. She's a oh, I love that. Well, so thinking about Florida, what's your favorite way to relax? I love, if, if somebody could find a way to pay me for backpacking, I would love to backpack all over the world in the mountains and remote places. That is the best way for me to relax. Go someplace, you know, 20 miles away from the nearest road and set up camp and just enjoy that. I'm with you. I think that's why people don't understand really about hunting for me. It's not even really about taking the animal. It's about no. the experience of just getting away. There is something very relaxing to the point of of either sitting in the woods or blind or wherever you're at for or sitting around a campfire like they're just that feeling of really just letting life go and really just taking in what whatever that experience is is really what drives me to the outdoors so i'm with you i think that giving me somewhere to to explore and to be outside and, and to be in nature and take on those in is is a perfect way for me to relax too I love all right last question all right, you cannot say Dr. Jeffrey Prickett. My God, that man can't be back up. But who, <laughs> who would, Adam, who would you interview if you were hosting my show, The Relationship-Centered Learning Podcast? Uh, very quickly, well, dang, it's, it's a tie, and I might even get in trouble if I don't pick the one because it's my wife, but she can be excluded <laughs> too, right? Can she be excluded? Absolutely, okay. let's do it. Just by default because she's excluded because she's my wife, so she can't, I can't answer her, but I have a really other good connection. His name is Mr. Matt Harton, and he is my associate principal at the high school that I'm at right now. Okay. And when we interviewed him, he was actually my son's PE teacher in another neighboring district. So prior to the interview, I said to my son, hey, uh, what do you think about Mr. Harton? He said, oh, he's like the greatest teacher ever, and he teaches PE. <laughs> You're not to explain that to me. He's like, oh, he knows everything about us. Before we even get like, do anything, he knows that I like hockey. He knows about you and mom. He, so way from the very beginning. So during the interview process, I knew that this guy was a relationships guy and his name is Matt Harton. He is uh, just gaining momentum on social media and things like that. I'm trying to get him up to speed. But uh, again, I could pick, there's a lot of people, but because I'm working so close with him right now, he came right to the top of the list. No, and that's good. I mean, that's that's what this what I want. The people that are relevant, particularly now in our lives, mm -hmm. and you know, having a personal connection with you, I think it'll be easy to get him on the show. Yeah, well, he'd he'd be good at it. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, we've got some ideas for the principal leadership lab too to incorporate like a principal AP discussion roundtable one of right. the episodes. That'd be yeah. Cool. Mm -hmm. Okay. All right, Adam. That was my five. You got five to flip back at me, sir. Oh yeah. And, you know, I tried to make them somewhat personal, somewhat relevant to who you are, too. So okay. it took a little bit of time. But uh, in our previous discussion, you shared that uh, you know the UP a little bit, the Upper Peninsula of Michigan. <laughs> so have you ever had a pasty? I, if I did, I don't know what it was called at the time. <laughs> um, I can just tell you my UP experience in Menominee. I met a gentleman. I was bartending on the Riverwalk. He lived up there in Menominee. And he said, hey, I like to hunt. You hunt. So we would swap places. He would come to South Texas and then I would come up there. And I can tell you for three years in a row, I went up there and it was the, the most interesting experience, a couple of takeaways for one was they closed down the whole week of opening deer season for school. Like school closes yep. down. I'm like, yep. Same school here. closes. I know. So that was the takeaway. 
Number two, everybody has like a deer camp. And so like when you go to deer camp, it's like like a vacation home, like to like it's a place you go. And there was a place called Camp K and it was on the picture. It was, a, it, they showed me when I visited, it was on like the picture of like Life or Time Magazine. They, this camp had made the cover of a magazine and you went around from family to family and you just visited families on different nights and they would host dinner and there would be beer taps coming out of the wall with antlers yeah. on him. And all I can tell you about is particularly food. Everything was flipping pickled. There was pickled, pickled <laughs> deer heart, pickled, pickled this, pickled that. Pick, every had all, every, all I remember is these jars of everything pickled. And the last thing I will say is because I'm from South Texas, everything was pop and, you know, A. And so <laughs> when I came from there, immediately they were like, you're not from around here, A. And I'm like, no. And then I'd say y'all. And they're like, oh, Texas. And they're like, so do y'all still like ride horses and are there wagons? Like they really thought that this was still the old West back here. Yeah. So yeah, those are my takeaways from my experience. <laughs> so if I had a, what did you call it? A pasty? A pasty. Yeah. Pasty? Yeah. I, I don't know. What is it? Spelled the same as pasty, but don't get those two mixed up. So pasty is kind of like a meat pie simply, but the miners used to make them. They'd wrap them in tinfoil. They'd stick them inside their jacket pockets so they would stay warm all day long inside their jackets. Uh-huh. And uh, so it's like a, like a pie crust with hamburger chopped up or steak or whatever you want to put in there. Rutabaga, because rutabagas grow well in the UP. And this is, you know, early 1900s, 1800s. So right. long-standing tradition. And the big debate up here would be, do you put gravy on it or do you use ketchup? You oh. know? So I think they're, I think like the, the altruistic youpers would probably go with gravy. I yeah. think ketchup would be more modern, you know? Yeah. I think if I had one, I'm just the way it sounds. Sounds like a pot pie sort of yeah. thing situation, right? But definitely, I think I'm a gravy guy. So I would go with that one too. Definitely. All right. Back to the list. So again, Kevin's in Texas. So what kind of meat have you smoked recently? Oh, that would be brisket, you know, for oh. me. Yeah. Yeah. You know, uh, it's definitely smoking barbecue down here, but brisket and ribs are, are my two are my favorite. And then chicken, I guess would be number three. Uh, Easier, yeah. more common, right? I mean, you yeah. can do brisket every night. So yeah, 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 yeah. It takes, even though long, we but... should, we should do brisket every night. <laughs> I like your thinking, but yes, brisket. <laughs> so do you prefer cowboy boots or shoes? Oh, cowboy boots. I mean, awesome. I, first of all, I love shoes. I have an obsession with shoes and boots and variety of different things. So I probably have more shoes than most women or have as much as most women. It's crazy, but no, I, and it's interesting. I just went to Fredericksburg, Texas this past weekend and I caught myself looking at boots and then I had to tell myself, what, what do I need another pair of boots for? I, I probably have eight pair of cowboy boots and I'm like, why do I need another pair? I don't, but, but they're fascinating and I love mm-hmm. them. So I'm most comfortable in a pair of nice jeans and a pair of boots any day. Well, this isn't a, this is a follow-up question. Not one of my five square or pointy tip square. You know, I've advanced. I am now a square toe for years. I thought it was odd and I can't never say I was pointy. I would say it was more rounded, rounded. rounded. And then recently I kind of got, you know, I had to look at it and I was like, okay, I I can dig the square, you know, I'm seeing it. So yeah, mostly the, the recent ones have all been square toe. Now I will tell you, if you ever do go to Nashville, and on Broadway, they literally have a place, and I know it sounds crazy, Adam, but buy one, get two free. Holy cow. Yeah, I'm not kidding you. It sounds crazy. I walked in, and I'm like, wait, so if I buy one, I get two of these free? She said, yeah, as long as they're you know, of equal or lesser value. And it is crazy. So that was realistically where I had a hard time. You get three <laughs> pair of boots for the price of one. How do you pass that up, right? That's, yeah, that's how it went from five to eight was that a trip there. When we wrap up today, I'm heading to Tennessee. 
I'll join you. It's one of my favorite <laughs> cities to be in. That's excellent. Yes, sir. So, continuing with the uh, Texas theme, Texans mm-hmm. or the Cowboys? Cowboys, unfortunately. Yeah. Unfortunately. I'm a, I grew up a Tom Landry, Cowboys, Roger Staubach. You know, the older Cowboys, that's really realistically how I grew up. And I will tell you, I was kind of the Oilers fan, too. I think what makes me unique about most Texas, like, fans of sports, I truly, I mean, I will support anything Texas. When it comes to hierarchy, it would be Cowboys over Texans. But if the Texans are playing, I'm rooting for them. And what's interesting is, even though I support colleges, you know, A&M, Texas, TCU, whatever, if you're representing Texas, I'm a fan for you. So I don't have this, that really diehard, like, paint my face, scream at the TV, (laughs) and I'm a realist Cowboys fan. So when we throw an interception or we get beat by the Eagles or the Giants or, you know, anyone else that we, you know, they haven't scored a touchdown in 48 quarters. And all of a sudden they score three and one against us. I'm a realist. I'm like, that's us. That's just who we are, but it still doesn't change my fans. No. Well, that's good. I like your loyalty. Yeah. We, we all need that. The Cowboys still hurt though. Cause I am a Packer fan and that's, you know, still, still a rivalry, even though we don't play as much as we used to. And, uh, you know, but the Aikman and Brett Favre days, those were some good games. Oh, yeah. But you guys, a few years ago when we even had a chance, I mean, when they went, I'm like, you can't give Aaron Rodgers a minute. No. You can't give a – that's why I was like <laughs> – and that throw to the sideline today, just like I said, yeah. I just see those things. And But I will tell you, as a sports fan and as a high school football coach and a f- football fan, those are the things you love to – that's why I love watching sports because yes. you just – like. Those winners and those people like Aaron Rodgers and Brett Favre and the people that play for the Packers, it's funny because when the Packers are playing, like when Peyton Manning was playing, right? Like you root for those teams because of those type of people. So, you know, despite my loyalty with the Cowboys, I love good athletes and good a good fan of a good sport and a good athlete. So for me is I'm with you. I, I can support the Packers definitely when they're on a roll and particularly when they're just playing well. <laughs> and when they're not playing the Texans or, <laughs> or the Cowboys. Or Cowboys, yeah. yes, sir. Yeah, yeah. All right. This is a a classic. You you know this these types of things come up all the time too. It's about music genres, but I'm gonna be specific because I'm tired of talking about Prickett's rock and roll. So <laughs> George Strait or Garth Brooks? Garth Brooks. Oh my god, that's not even a I mean, I know George Strait is the king, but I mm-hmm. can tell you I have seen Garth Brooks. Two times in person. He was in San Antonio in the mid-90s, and then he just came back a few years ago. It was 20-something years apart. I've seen him both times. Hands down, the Elvis Presley of modern day. That man is the greatest entertainer I have ever seen on earth. That man played for two, two I think it was two hours and 15 minutes, Adam. And he in San Antonio, he ended up selling out like five shows. So he had one Friday, two Saturday, two Sunday. It was just whatever it was. And I had the first, well, I, like late, I had the seven o'clock showing on a Saturday and he was still having another one that went to like one o'clock in the morning. Oh my gosh. And I get it. You know, I struggle with a slightly being a little overweight. That man was still slightly overweight, sweating through those shirts, performing like crazy two hours and 15 minutes. His energy was phenomenal. And I've, I grew up to his music to me, hands down, for me, one of the greatest entertainers, period. But when it comes down to country music, it's really hard to beat what he brings out of people. Very true. Yeah, I, I knew that would be at least a, a good discussion. Because, I mean, you can't deny George Strait. I love oh. George Strait. But but overall, I mean, I don't listen to George Strait daily. I could listen to Garth Brooks daily. Yeah, I agree. George just, 
like I said, George is a just a different genre of country music. And if you really watch like the Garth Brooks special, I love, I'm no different than anyone else. I love learning about you behind the scenes. So that one that they put out that documentary where Garth talks about, you know, his growing up and coming into country music, he, he, George Strait is what really brought him in. And so I think George sets a foundation for a lot of people. It's just that when you look at George, George hits you in a different emotional spot with his country music where like Garth can take you on a roller coaster of emotions and excitement. Totally. Yeah. yeah. And it'd be honest, if you've ever seen George, he's pretty quiet. He just kind of stands yes. there, trumps yeah. his guitar and not very yeah. animated. When no. and I remember in the nineties, literally Garth was still swinging out over the crowd yes. and flinging water bottles and doing all the stuff you see on TV at a seated live in person. It's flipping nuts. Yep. Hey, that was my last question. Oh, man. Good conversation. Yeah. So, hey, guys. All right. So, that was the GTKY part of the show, Connections Before Content. So, just like in the classrooms or in the school buildings, we want to make sure that you emphasize Connections Before Content, one of our best hashtags. So, if you're emphasizing Connections Before Content and you want some more additional resources, head over to our website of rclfirst, rclfirst.com. You can click on two links. You can click on either did. 28 GTKY questions or to join our weekly circles where educators join weekly on Mondays, Thursdays, or Saturdays to feel valued, seen, and heard. But ultimately, you can just connect with us on rclfirst.com. All right, that part out of the way. All right, Adam, I want people to know why was I so excited to get you on the show? I think after being on your show with Dr. Prickett and you being a fellow podcaster, you get it. But I believe that what you bring is just a really, really genuine and authentic way of building relationships with people in general, but you also understand the importance of being a leader while doing that. And so I want to just get the listeners up to date. So who are you, who are you currently? In other words, where are you working? What are you doing? And then I just want them to get an idea of who you are as a person. So here's your quick introduction time. Go ahead. Sure. You say introduction. I say like an interview question, right? <laughs> yes. So <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do a little uh, history for you. So Please. Uh, we've, re we've referenced my uh, nemesis or my friend, whichever you want to call him, Jeff Prickett. And uh, so about 25 years ago, we started teaching close together and then joined up together in an elementary classroom. And I think that my career has been shaped because I've had very strong leaders. Now, I haven't agreed with them all the time, and I don't think we ever will. You know, we'll never agree with our supervisors 100% of the time, no matter how good they are. But I will tell you the thing that I learned that from each of them, and this was a common theme that I've experienced as a teacher, is that they always told me to take the risk. If it doesn't work, just don't do it again. And I was like, wow, that's a pretty big license. I can, I can live with that, right? So take the risk. If it doesn't work, don't do it again. If it works, keep doing it. Just go fast, faster, farther, just keep doing it. So that was a fifth and sixth grade self-contained elementary school classroom. Then I, I rescued my wife from Illinois and I brought her behind the cheddar curtain up to Wisconsin, Manaqua, Wisconsin, beautiful place, loaded with lakes and state forests and lots of public land. And I taught sixth grade in a middle school, sixth grade science. And I continued to be shaped underneath um, the strong leadership of Peg Wolf. And again, she just kept saying, hey, if you know, try it, just do it. If it doesn't work, don't do it again. That's all. So do what you think is best for students. You're never going to fail when that's your lens. So I kept doing that. And then as I was there, I grew into, I pursued my administrative license in ed leadership and curriculum design. And I took my first job was actually with a small private school. I went to church on Sunday and this little lady, her name is Vicki, great lady. She's probably four foot tall and she played a 12 string guitar and she could barely reach the end of it when she was strumming. And she played it like nobody's business. I mean, she'd be swinging with Garth Brooks, you know. 
And uh, she said, hey, can I take you to breakfast in between services? Because I was singing that day with her. And I said, yeah, I'll, free lunch, free breakfast, sign me up. I mean, you don't get this shape from turning down free breakfast. So we went to McDonald's in Manaqua and she said, hey, I know that you are, you just finished your master's degree and you want to be a, an administrator. And we were, we were interested in opening a small private school. And I'm like, oh, cool. I'm thinking like 25 to 100 kids, you know, well, we don't have any students yet. Oh, what are you gonna, how are you going to pay me? You know what I mean? I'm thinking like, I, at first I thought this was a great thing and it ended up to be a great thing. And I love that school. They, they, again, we ended up with six students in grades six, seven, and eight. So a boy and a girl, a boy and a girl, and a boy and a girl for each grade level. And Vicky became my assistant because I said, you know, if I'm going to be in a doctor's office starting this school, I would really feel better if there was another female to help out with this. You know, I'm not sure about being in the basement and being the only dude down there. Too many accusations flying around. Anyway, Vicky and I, we hit it off. It was so much fun. Talk about authentic learning. We had kids that were studying calculus and kids that were studying sixth grade math because we could provide that in that environment. Sure. So again, my principal shaped me into that. Like, if you can do it, try it. And uh, that lasted until I'm thinking it was like March when my hometown called me and said, hey, unfortunately, there was, it was bad news. There was a principal at a middle school that ended up passing away and uh, they had to make some changes in the middle of the year. They called me and my wife and I decided it was a good time to go. So I became the assistant principal at a middle school in Marinette, Wisconsin. And the school ended up that I was at ended up changing into more of a preschool because it was hard to develop in that area with only six students. But they are still, I believe they still exist today, just in different formats. They continue to morph as needs of the community change. So from the AP to principal, all in the same district there. And then um, I got the knock one day at my office door. It was the business director and our superintendent and came and said, hey, would you consider, long story short, would you consider curriculum director? Mm, I don't know. I really like the middle school. I mean, I'm a little crazy. I, I like it. I like the middle school. I still have a good arm for recess. So all-time quarterback, I'm still, you know, these are the Brett Favre era. So I'm, I'm still liking recess. Anyway, I uh, ended up doing the curriculum director and then they forgot to tell me it also included the IT director that, you know, they slipped that in there at the end. So I am also Cisco phone certified. I don't know that there are many other principals in the state, other maybe country that are Cisco phone certified. So I'm that. And then uh, I left there. I went to, uh, we in Wisconsin, we call them ACESAs, Cooperative Educational Service Agencies. And we, we help districts in our region. So I think there's 28 schools in the CESA region. And I was kind of like an educational consultant. I worked with schools that couldn't, that needed help supporting educator effectiveness. That's our statewide teacher evaluation system, or maybe back to school trainings for teachers and how to integrate technology to engage students, just whatever they needed, we would try to support them. Well, this, I'm sorry, Kevin, this is getting way too long. No, I'm listening. All I, right. I, I'm learning. <laughs> so my wife and I and my three kids, we took a trip to Wyoming and on the way out, it's 21 hours. We had a lot of things to talk about, but my wife kept talking about how difficult it has been because at that CISA position, I was traveling. I was on the road like 30 nights that year. And before that, I was home every day, you know, as a principal or as a teacher, I was home every day. So I listened for 21 hours and then on the 21 hours on the way back, I continued to listen. And then in Oconto, where I am now, I saw the superintendent was the middle school principal and he had been promoted during my time away. And I uh, called him and said, hey, congratulations. And he wrote me back and he said, hey, guess what? We have a middle school opening. Would you be interested? And I said, well, you know, I really like my job right now, but uh, not at this time. And so we were unloading the car. And my wife said, did you just turn on a job? Didn't we just talk like for 40 some hours about taking a school position so you could be back with our family? 
Oh yeah. What I meant to tell him was that I would call him back for an interview later, you know? So long story short, uh, his name is Aaron Melcheski. He, he is no longer with us. He's in a, he, he's actually working at CISA south of us now, instead of in Ocanto. And uh, he gave me an opportunity to come back to the building level. I was selected through the interview process and I was serving as the middle school principal of a 5-8 building and also a charter school, a public charter school within that building of about 80 students called Bayshore Community Academy. And now I'm at the high school and the middle school. So I have about 300 students at the high school and 300 at the middle school. And you know what, Kevin, it's the best job I've had because I have all those other experiences. Sure. But I know, I know what I like now. I liked all of those other positions. The district office was good for a while, right. but some days you come to work and you wonder why you're at work when there's no <laughs> students and no teachers. Right. It's the first time in my career I ever looked at a clock. I've never had that problem. I st- I, now I don't have that problem again. <laughs> Time just flies when you're working with students and teachers. Right. So I've taken all those years to realize, so the last seven years, seven school years, I have learned that this is what I like. This is what I fit the best. I like to be able to have relationships with students. Doing lunch supervision at a middle school, it doesn't get any better than that. You know, you learn everything you need to know about boys and girls at a middle school at lunch. You don't need to go to class. You just go to lunch. <laughs> and then high school, I'm, I'm relearning that. This is a new gig. This is only three years in. So I'm learning how to connect with high school kids. The good news is they are my former middle school students. So okay, so they're, okay, so you have an in with them. Okay, that, yeah. that helps out too. Yeah. So let me ask you this question. When you were watching the clock and working in away from campuses, what was something that you were yearning and missing that you didn't realize until you were sitting there watching the clock? What were the, some of the things that you were missing that you felt disconnected from not being on the campus? It's easy. The frequency of the conversations. Because at those agencies and when I was away from campus, the um, relationships that I had and that I had fostered with my colleagues were deep. But often they would be out of the building. They'd be helping another district or they'd be servicing you know, a different area of the region. So I wouldn't see them on a day-to-day basis. So sometimes I would be isolated and completely by myself. And it wasn't, it wasn't that give and take of conversation and relationships and, and learning about each other or even collaborating on the same projects. Some of mine were strictly technology projects. And then there was a literacy expert. So we didn't cross paths a lot, right. but it was isolating. And that's one of the things that scares me about where we are right now with the pandemic is some of our students, I think, feel isolated too. And they, I want them back in when it's safe as best we can. Well, the reason I, I also resonate with that, I'm going to be very kind of vulnerable here for a second. When I was traveling, you know, for me, sometimes it'd be 150 days a year. And, you know, I, one, recognize the strain that it puts on a marriage and a relationship, hence why I'm no longer in a, in a marriage because of that. And I'm not, I'm not going there, but I, I know the strains that it puts on it. What I had to start to recognize recently, Adam, about myself was I am feeling isolated. I'm feeling disconnected. I'm, I'm going through an emotional ups and downs. And what I started to realize is the interactions and connections that I was making when I was traveling with other educators or even my team was something that when they're, you know, and for whatever the reason, the pandemic has, has, has kept us from obviously being in person. As I mentioned, I finally got to go to Nashville and do an in-person training, but even virtual training. So even for my team, I don't get to see them very often. We have a Monday, one o'clock standard call. We have Zoom meeting every Monday, but I told them two weeks ago, I said, hey guys, we have met in person a couple of times over the last couple of months. I said, I think we need to do that at least once a month. I said, without that, I am flying solo and I'm feeling so isolated and by myself. And I don't 
I'm losing the, the the kind of my compass is kind of spinning for a lack of better directions. And when I'm with you, I, I get my point back. I get my direction back. And so when you said that, that's exactly how I felt. So this Monday we met in Austin and only six of the 10 of us can meet and that's fine. But the conversations and the camaraderie yeah. and, and the, the things that you were periodically doing with your other colleagues filled your bucket and, and, and kind of kept you in that space, right? Am I kind of resonating what you were going through? Absolutely. It's like a perfect sounding board for my thoughts. Okay. Yep. So you get back to the campus. So when you come back and you're starting to lead and think about, let's start, let's start with campus connections. What are some of your thoughts on what is the importance and the value of having, as you just talked about, staff connecting with staff, adults connecting with other adults. What are your thoughts when it comes to leading a campus and being intentional with taking into consideration adult to adult connections? It's extremely important. I think sometimes it's difficult to make that work. It's, it's, so outside of the pandemic year that we're in, it's almost impossible right now because we're trying to make sure that we don't cross paths because mm-hmm. we don't want to, you know, have anybody succumb to a close contact and they have to lose them for you know, 10 days of potential uh, infection rates. So this year has been even more difficult. And I sense that within our buildings. I sense that within me. Uh, We're missing out on the, uh, you know, the quarter celebrations and, you know, hey, let's uh, get together and have a cornhole tournament before the school year. That was one of our goals this year that uh, the AP at the middle school, AP at the high school and myself, we wanted to have a cornhole tournament and have staff all join me at my house and put a bunch of boards in the yard and just just kick back and have some fun. We didn't do that because we we were trying to be as safe as possible. But I think that uh, those relationships between the adults lay the foundations for the relationships with our students when they are in in session. Uh, currently, we're on an A-B schedule. So we have half of our students in, in school, which has been great because we can socially distance in school at this point. If we sure. had everybody here, we just couldn't do it. So back to the adults, the better that we get along, the better our teachers get along with our students. So I think it's paramount to making that work. Well, And so let me ask you a question. Do you believe as a campus leader that it's up to you to kind of model and, you know, I I think you've heard me say this phrase, power and permission Mm -hmm. to give the permission. And again, I know we're taking into consideration social Mm -hmm. distancing in the pandemics, but, but besides that, you know, taking that to pushing it to the side, do you feel like it's imperative as a campus leader to make sure that they know it's it, the importance of adult connections and that you, you, as you said, bringing them to your house or your space and showing them and doing a cornhole tournament or whatever it is, do you feel like sometimes, and the reason I'm asking this is it's a very directive, it's a very direct question is because I'm seeing a common theme 27 episodes in and what I'm hearing is it starts with us. So, you know, you mentioned earlier you know, I think the principal lab, leadership lab that you guys do, it's a podcast. It's all about taking those chances, but yeah. it's also about being intentional because to me is once you, as you said earlier, you know, do things. And if you screw it up, try not to repeat that again. But the one thing that seems to be working is when the campus leaders, principals permission, not only model, but give permission and build those opportunities to connect with the other adults do you see that as the first start of kind of kicking into that, like that relationship model that will extend into the campus? What are your thoughts on that? Absolutely. It does start with us. I think even the changes that take place within a school, if we're talking about grading practices or, you know, anything that any change for education starts with us as the adults, the students often will comply with our directives, especially if there's a relationship there. And I think that's be the key, right? Relationship centered learning. Right. So if that relationship has been established, they will follow us no matter which way we go. Back to our principal leadership lab, during the episode when we talked to you the first time, 
Do you remember the story about the Curtis kids? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and you were looking so, for the DeWitt. Yeah, DeWitt's. something. Yeah, DeWitt something. Yes. Well, unfortunately, and this is that vulnerability piece, I had a discussion with one of my teacher leaders here, and they don't feel connected. And I was like, what? I immediately thought of the Curtis kids because I was like, that hurts because I felt like I don't feel like that. You know, I don't feel like there's the DeWitt's delicatessens or the Curtis kids. I don't think that I don't feel like that. But what that did for me, once I personalize it, I can make all kinds of excuses. I'm shared between four buildings. I have two physical buildings and four schools. I don't have the time to, you know, I can make excuses until the cows come home, but really it starts with me. So I had to make some adjustments and make some changes, be more visible, visit more classrooms and not visit more classrooms in terms of, hey, I noticed you didn't have your learning target on the board. Uh, Why don't you come talk to me about that later and we'll discover why you don't. You know, not those discussions, but more of the discussions like, hey, do you like cowboy boots or shoes? You know, I mean, just to, to reacquaint who we are, because really I'm still a nomad. I've only been at the high school for three years. So where I think that our district knows me, my building doesn't know me as well, as well, as well as I thought. So that's being about as vulnerable as I can be right now because it hurt. It it stung when I found out that they don't feel as connected to me as I thought I was connected to them. Wow. And we talk about bravery, you know, daring, you know, Brene Brown, you know, dare to lead. You know, I love the fact that you were brave enough to ask that question and that our conversation led to that conversation. That's great. But I love the fact that that epiphany also, like you said, it, it comes, it hurts, but it also makes us, okay, I love the fact that, because I'm telling you, I, I'm all about accountability now. Mm-hmm. You know, like you said, I've gained 10 packs, 10 more pounds after I lost my 17. And I'm like, I can make all the excuses in the world, <laughs> or I can just look at me and say, you're yeah. the only one that's that stopped working out. But no, I, I believe that when we're able to do that, pause, reflect, how I define that is maturity. Like, for example, I tell them when we grow and reflect, that is a sign of maturity. And I think that when we're, early in our leadership career, we're reluctant to reflect and grow versus defend and deflect. I mean, mm-hmm. do you explain, would you say that is to, to early, early leadership style sometimes? Absolutely. The more I reflect, the stronger I become. And uh, James Clear, his book, Atomic Habits, mm-hmm. uh, Jeff and I have been reading that as well and, and really trying to push each other to become stronger as individual leaders and also as a team through our own collective efforts. I'll tell you what, I had never reflected on the development of a habit at such a small micro level, hence the term Adam. I never, never thought about it, but reflection is key to developing those habits. You know, for people who want to get up and run in the morning, it's not about the run. That's not the habit you're trying to develop. Put your shoes on and tie, because eventually when you tie your shoes every morning, you're probably going to go for a run and then change your habit to, okay, the shoes, it's not a problem anymore. Now I'm going to go for a, a two minute run walk. And then pretty soon that run walk turns into a 5K or whatever. So making the smallest changes, but also putting it out, put your shoes on at the, at the bottom of your bed ready to go in the morning because it's easy. You know, it's, it, this morning had to have been in the low 30s when I got up. I didn't want to go for a run. Are you kidding me? That was not appealing to me. But guess what I stepped on when I got out of bed? My shoes. shoes. So we have to put things in place and that comes with maturity, which is funny because I don't think anybody that I know well, like Jeff, my wife, my APs, they wouldn't say I'm mature, but I think in terms of leadership, I'm mature, right? Just not the way it is. Yeah. There's a difference. No, I totally agree. No. Yeah. Because it's kind of like, uh, Dave talked about, he's a middle school kid still inside, you know, this, this older body. (laughs) And and so I, I think that, that what I've always 
loved about the learning process is those mature moments of reflection. And I think for me, when I look back at leading, some of the things that I needed to do a better job was reflecting, listening, really taking in what my staff had to say. So when you talked about, you know, the staff not feeling as connected as you thought they were, yeah. I think that realization. So I love the fact that you were intentional and said, okay, I'm not going to go back and just be more present facial mm-hmm. time. I want to go back and actually make some connections. So I hear some pros and cons to being a campus leader in your situation where you are a nomad and spread out like that. So if another campus leader is spread out in a nomad like you, what other recommendations would you have for leaders who find themselves leading multiple campuses or multiple organizations or whatever that it would entail that you could give them suggestions after you've been in these shoes for a few years? Absolutely. I'm not sure that they, you know, obviously every piece of advice, you can take it or leave it and maybe it works and maybe it doesn't. And that would be some leadership advice too. So try it. If it doesn't work, just don't do it again, right? I mean, that's my motto for life. Adapt. Uh, This year has been more about adapting than any other portion of my career. So in terms of being a nomad between buildings, it would be not to be so rigid that you can't adjust. And again, fortunately, I have a superintendent that I work with here that gives me a lot of autonomy to make decisions that are best. Sometimes her name is Emily. Sometimes Emily says, yeah, that's not going to work. Sorry, Adam, better luck next time. And I live within those boundaries. But recently, because of that uh, epiphany that I had with um, the not making the strong connections that I pride myself on, and I think that's why I hurt too, because I had some pride. So pride comes before the fall. So what I did is I made a deal with my APs. I was splitting my time. I was going Monday, Tuesday at the middle school, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday at the high school. And I talked to my APs and said, look, the issues or the the lack of connections coming at the high school. I'm for the, for a short period of time, you know, short period, meaning five to six weeks, I'm going to dedicate myself to the high school. Can you guys make that work? Can I join you at the high school and not feel like I'm stepping on your toes? And uh, the other AP's name is Adam. And I said, Hey, Adam, can you, can you put the wheels on the bus and keep it going forward? Cause you know, I, I would like to try and get the other building. So we're in lockstep and because of the support of the people around me, that's what we did. So we adjusted to fix what I think is a, a concern of my staff because it's been iterated to me so that I, I had the flexibility to do that, to adjust, change the plan that we were working on and then do this th- for now. It doesn't mean that we're not going back to the Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, but right. for the short term, let's make this better so that we can go on and adjust for the next type of plan. The other aspect is when I'm, so that was one thing, be adaptable and make the changes that are necessary so that you can put your strengths back into your court. The the other piece of advice I'd give for any other nomads like me would be to make sure that when you are perusing the halls, be intentional, like put on, actually put into your calendar. I'm going to go see these three teachers today, no matter how many meetings, what wheels fall off, which bus, which students have emotional breakdowns. I'm going to see these three teachers today. I'm going to see those three teachers tomorrow. And you know what? When I calendar it, it gets done. It's really, it's almost like a miracle. Like my calendar is magic. So those two things, be flexible or adaptable and then be intentional for those conversations that take place. Those are great takeaways because everything that you're echoing in your world goes in mine too. I mean, I tell people all the time, my calendar is everything from a doctor's appointment to to when I'm scheduling a podcast to everything in, And when I put it on my calendar, it is literally scheduled into my day and I'm accountable for making that happen. And I'm all about accountability. So I want to follow through with those things. So it's really important, as you said, for not for little fires to not come up 
and move those things around. Because have you ever noticed, I always felt sometimes, particularly as a campus leader, despite assistant principal, principal at times, like at times all I did was put out fires all day long. Like I showed up and I should have been in a red suit, you know, with a little you know, a little thing behind me saying I'm the fireman because I, I know I have a calendar and I have a schedule for what today's look like, but ultimately I'm going to get to work and it's going to be all reactivity and I'm just going to go around and put out fires. You ever felt that way as a campus leader? Yep. And if it's not on my calendar, it becomes easier and easier because when it's on my calendar, I can ask certain questions. For instance, can I get to you in 30 minutes? I have a meeting with Kevin Curtis. I've been waiting for this for a week. Can I get back to you in 30 minutes? Almost always they say yes. And if they don't say yes, I have a plan. Hey, Matt, my AP, Matt, can you meet with teacher A? They have a real big concern or student X, they have a concern. So if it's on my calendar, it's easier for me to say no. If I don't have it on my calendar, I get sucked into the fire and then it burns me. Because that half hour, you know, when they say, do you have a minute? It's oh. not a minute. There's <laughs> never any, there's never a time where somebody says, do you have a minute? And it's a minute. I always laugh at this. And this is, this is, God, I hope teachers do not take this out of context. But how many times have you been on, like the phone or something in your office, right? And they're like, I know you're busy, but (laughs) it's like, (laughs) then you, if you know I'm busy, why are you going to come and interrupt whatever I'm busy doing? It's just hilarious. That would drive me crazy. I know you're busy, but, and you're like, yeah, can I call you back? Because evidently I'm this, whatever I'm about to take on is, as a, they've, they've determined that this is a bigger priority of whatever's up on the phone or, yeah. or dealing with like that. So I even have some solutions for that. Like right now you can see my door in our zoom meeting Yeah. and um, on the back side of the door, which I always tell everybody I have an open door policy. But what I mean by that is if my door is open, I'm available. If my right. door is closed, don't knock. Cause I'm not, I, I only close it when I'm not available, but on the other side of the door right now, I have a sign that says recording in session. So that helps a little bit. But it does, because I am such an open person, Right, it's hard to say no to people. Oh. I can say no to things all the time, you know, yeah. but it's hard to say no when I see their face and I say, do you have a minute? I just want to help them. I want to talk to them. I know. So that's hard. And first of all, that was very simple, but yet very powerful because I think most leaders try mm-hmm. to, I'm using air quotes people with my fingers, <laughs> uh, you know, have the open door policy. But I do like the specificity of like, look, it's open, but when it's closed, I'm not available. And so that right there, it can just be a simple, simple nonverbal communication tool to specifically let them know when you're available and when you're not. Now, the reason I I also say when you say you have a hard time saying no, I think, Adam, yes, when I was in your campus leader role, I did that. But I didn't realize how it carried over into this role. So like you work as a consultant, you know, and, and yeah. working at like a service center, professional yep. development place and things like that. So the hard part for me was, is at the beginning and you talk about calendaring things, I would look at a calendar and if a school district said, Hey, are you available on this day? I'm like, yep. Put them in. Right. <laughs> are you available on this day? Yep. Put them in. Are you available on this day? Yep. Oh, it says I'm, I don't see anything else on the calendar. Put it in. And before you knew it, I did not build any me time in any family time in any of the things that you were just talking about where your wife was like, Hey, have you noticed that you're traveling X amount of nights? And, and so it was my will and desire to want to say yes and want to be there for everybody. I didn't realize when you do it in small, like just one day at a time, when you don't look at the entire calendar and then, you know, I would look at the calendar and at my time, my wife would be like, so what's this month look like? I would be like, Holy crap. 
not only is it like almost every day, but I'm supposed to go from this city to this city to this city to this city. And I didn't even realistically think about the logistics of that. And so what the best thing that I ever did, to be honest with you, is one of my teachers that had left teaching to come work with me, she said, why don't you let me like be the assistant and like be the hub for everything? And I, because for the first three years, I ran the business by myself. I did all the calendar, all the logistics, all the traveling. It was a one man band, right? And I can tell you giving her where it was a lot of anxiety because I'm like, I don't know how to give this to you. But then finally we, she just said, it's kind of like you said, just put the shoes on, right? I'm like, here, just take it and we'll figure it out. Now, once I've taken it, Adam, I'm like, holy cow, the amount of time I got back because she's like, Kevin, they want to schedule on this, but that puts you on a flight to this, to this and this, or you've already worked it. And I'm just like, I love you. I love having, I love having, her <laughs> yeah. name is Sarah. Shout, shout out to Sarah. Cause we have a, you know, if you have an Apple, you have Siri. I have a Sarah. Sarah keeps my world sane. So, you know, when I say that, does that resonate anything to you oh, as a leader? Oh my goodness. Yes, it sure does. And I'll tell you the Sarah's of the world. That's another blessing I've had. I've had good, strong principal leaders, which I, I know not every teacher has had that opportunity. And then from my very first teaching position in Streamwood, Illinois, we had great office staff. So even then they were coaching me and I was, I was young, I was 22, 23 years old and uh, they're being very motherly. They're probably like, oh my gosh, I can't believe we hired this guy, you know? But then it went from there to Monaco where we had great, strong office people like, hey, Adam, you know, those things, those are due tomorrow and it's probably going to take you several hours to complete that. Oh, so you're saying I should do those today. So they're ready for tomorrow. Got it. You know, I have had those people all the time. And then uh, as an administrator, her name was Beth Johnson. She just retired a few years ago in Marinette. She was excellent. Anything that I could have taken credit for, that any awards I may have received or kudos from our staff, it all it was Beth Johnson. It, you know, she even saved my life. I, literally, I, I, I ran a marathon, which Jeff's going to laugh that I included that in this episode because I always try to put it in there whenever I can. You know, because <laughs> when you're short and stout and you can say you completed a marathon, it's worth saying as many times as you can. So in 2009, I was walking up the ramp in our middle school and my secretary, Beth Johnson, came out and she said, show me your leg because I was limping. It got worse and worse. I ended up having cellulitis and I went to see a friend who's a doc and he said, you know, if you would have been waiting another 24 hours, we could have been talking to amputation. And I was like, oh, so you should take care of that like sooner next time, you know? So Beth Johnson was great. She saved my life. She even like picked up on my limping. So yeah, I've had great people. I still have great people right here in, in, in Oconto. They are excellent at managing my schedule. They're all oh, and defenders of the office. I have a Courtney on here right now and she knows I have my sign up. I uh-huh. bet when people walk in, she's doing this. And they're like, why? Cause she's Adam's pointing recording. to this. Yeah. 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 And they yeah. can't even see my door, but I bet I've seen a couple of students come in. I bet I'll guarantee you. She said, Shh, Mr. DeWitt's recording. Yeah. Yeah. She, yeah. And, yeah. She will defend us night and day. How many yeah. times have we, have we ever been told or you've heard in, in through the, it's like the legends of, of leaders that they're like, hey, make sure you know the secretary and the custodian mm-hmm. and the food service, right? Like oh, yeah. the, lady, the lady that runs the food, the person that cleans up the campus and the secretary. Those three people, if, those, if you get on their good side and they're your MVPs, they're yeah. going to keep you. They're going to keep you running. Yep. Have and, you heard the three Bs? No, beans give me the Bs. Buses. Beans, balls, and buses. That's what runs district. So food service is the beans. Okay. You know, we all have to, we want to feed our students. 
the balls, athletic programs, right? I deal with more about athletics than I ever do math or science. Or It's always about athletics. And football in Texas, right? I mean, yes. I'm sure as a campus leader and being a football coach, you probably heard a lot about football. So yeah. beans, balls, and then, of course, buses, because if I can't get my students here in the morning, what good is coming to school? And if the bus company says, well, we're picking up, as long as you got your minutes, we're leaving, we're, that's it. We're picking up and dropping off. So really beans, balls, and buses. That's what runs our schools. Oh my God. What did I hear? I heard books <laughs> or hold on, let's see. Books, butts, buses. And, but I think the other one was keys. It was like books, buses, keys. You know, it was just kind of like an AP world of, of yep. what your world will, re- will revolve around. It was like, yeah, I remember bus duty, bus referrals, keys. Oh, the math. If you, you did not want to be key master. When oh. you have a large building yeah. and trying to, yeah, key masters and other things. And then, of course, butts, discipline. And, and then, of course, handing out at that time, predominantly using still textbooks. And, uh, yeah, they would laugh because my principal would be like, what's your book? How do you, like, you know, um, you know strategically give out books and organize them and whatever? I'm like, I walked them over there, open up the book, and I hand them a book. She's like, what's your checkout system? Like, that's it. Yeah. And every year we always balanced out in books, but she'd be like, that's a horrible system. Like it, it effectively works. That's all I yep. can tell you. It's like you said, keep trying it until it doesn't work. Right. That's what I just <laughs> learned from you, Adam. <laughs> so, so then before we close out the show today, let's talk a little bit about student connections. So what do you believe when you talk with teachers who have struggled to connect with kids what have been some of your strategies, ideas? What, what are some talking coaching points as leaders can hear from you? How do you help bridge that gap or get them to understand it or give them examples? How do you help those educators that are struggling to connect with students? How do you help guide them as a leader? It's, it's good because it's, it's a varied approach. Fifth through eighth grade is one of my buildings. Mm-hmm. And like we mentioned already, and they would agree to it. Middle school people are weird. The students and the teachers and the principals, everybody that works at a middle school is a little bit different. So it's easy. I mean, we've had dress up days when we do a whiteout for, you know, just in the middle of, of winter, just to surprise the kids. Every adult is whited out, I mean, white from head to toe. If we do a blackout, everybody is blacked out. I mean, they, they participate 100%. We did a thriller dance one time because one of our PE teachers wanted to put that together. We did a, a thing, the thriller, a, a flash mob dance in front of the, um, it was a student assembly type thing, but nobody knew what was happening except for us. And we did that. If I did that at the high school, first of all, they'd be like, why don't you go back to the middle school? Cause something's wrong. <laughs> why are we, why are you even asking us? You know, but I think there's a misperception because now that I've been here for three years, you know, I was always the middle school principal saying, yeah, that big mean high school. It's always curriculum before connections up there. But I don't think it is because I've been, I'm getting to know these people and what we do. It's just different. They feel, but one thing I think is true, they feel the pressure but they don't know that our middle school people feel the pressure about making sure that our students in five, eight are ready for ninth grade too. Whereas the high school people feel like maybe it's more important, but it's not. If you ask a fifth through eighth grade teacher, it's very important that those kids are ready for ninth grade. So here, I think there's another level of pressure that they feel ACT is juniors. We got to get them ready for the workforce or for tech school, or for college. We got to get them ready. There's this high level of importance. They really do appreciate their relationships, but I feel like they are, they're, they're putting too much emphasis on the lack of time because, I, well, I think Hattie's research would tell us that if we have relationships, we can go faster, farther. So with a solid relationship, I don't need as much time, but trying to get everybody to buy into that. You, you mentioned strategies. Last year, have you heard of a gentleman by the name of Greg Walcott? No, I haven't. You'll look him up. He, he'll, he'll fit perfectly with your relationship-centered learning. 
he promotes, uh, well, several things, but one, one aspect that we were focused on here was his work around the significant 72. So you take the first three days of every school year and you build relationships, whatever it is, whatever you got to do, reach out to every kid, make a phone call, play a game, take them outside. Cause in Wisconsin, we only have like three days of good weather. So get them outside on those three good days, do the significant 72. Don't even think about sharing a syllabus, forget it. Just put it on the shelf, build them up, make them so that they'll run through the wall. When you say, all right, everybody jump up. It's time to run through the wall. Just do that. And, uh, you know, we're not there hundred percent yet. We're still in that mode of, but, it, but I don't mean that they don't like our students or don't want to build relationships. I think I it's a gear shift that for so long they were told we need to have, you know, 82% of our students proficient in math. We need to have this, we need to be this for science. And, and this, our writing scores dropped 2% last year. Who cares? 2% in the grand scheme of life. And we're only measuring the same group of students. It's not like it's, it's not going to change their life. So, but your relationship will change their life. When I think back to school, I hope this doesn't go live. Are we going to really put this out in public on like podcasts? Like people could listen to this? Yes, absolutely. All right, Kevin, let me ask you this question then. So I'm not the one that answers it. Okay. When's the the last time you used trigonometry? (laughs) Come on now, brother. You know the answer to that. (laughs) Zero. (laughs) I didn't say it, everybody. Just so my math teachers, anybody that listens to this podcast, it wasn't me. It was Kevin. That's right. Absolutely. I'm guilty of it. So I do understand that stretching our brains and growing, because I know Aaron Rodgers, I'm sure he does push-ups in training. He never does a push-up on the field, right? He doesn't right. do push-ups on the field. It's not part of football. Right. So part of exercising our brain and math is also trig and geometry. I get that. But when students are struggling, take a step back, find out what it is. Because oftentimes, our, like I've done more home visits during this pandemic than I've done in my entire career. And it's only November. And when you see where our students come from, it's not all unicorns and rainbows. So that's when you start to have a different perspective. So I just think that we just need to slow it down, build those relationships one student at a time. And like I said, I don't remember much about my math class, but I do know Mr. Furton because he invested in me and made sure that I knew math. Even though I can't tell you what the math was anymore, I know the investment that he made in me. I know that every day, even though I'm not a major league baseball player, he asked me about baseball. I know those things. My two daughters had Mr. Furton. We went, they went to the same school district I did as a child. And I, I can't tell you how happy I am to know that that guy had a chance to invest in my two children. And now my son doesn't have him, but he's got other good teachers that he can get to know. But I knew this one. Right. I never think back to my high school experience or my middle school years, even my elementary years. I can tell you her name is Judy Grace. She played a significant role in my life as a fifth grader. And she played a significant role in my first assistant principal position, getting me come to come back to my hometown. So it wasn't because of what Judy taught me in English language arts or science or social studies. It's the relationship. It's the sitting down and talking to me about my family. And I, I'm not saying that we had any kind of problem. She just invested in no. it. She wanted to know about my family. What'd you do for Christmas? What'd you guys eat? Do you guys go to that same restaurant? You know, and she was always asking those questions. So all the way back to fifth grade, it's yeah. relationships. I don't remember math. Yeah, you didn't give any example that I don't give when I'm speaking to educators too. <laughs> well, but I, but I, no, no, no. So I will say this though, Adam. So what's interesting is I hear your message and I think what's interesting, everybody hears it. I don't know of a human being that would disagree with what you just said. The problem is, is like you said, that same message that most people don't remember the content, they remember the connection. They remember the teachers that cared the most, that, that were, or, they were ordinary instead of extraordinary, all this, those things. But there's something that happens 
in reality that like cuts that message off at the legs, right? And so, for example, the significant 72. It's so ironic because I have a slide literally on my presentation, Adam, and it's not even the 72. I said, how many times it's the, other districts I've heard say the first five, first five, first five days, we're doing nothing but connecting with kids, right? So one thing that hit me about working with schools is there's a difference, in my opinion, on building relationships versus sustaining relationships. Mm -hmm. And the reason I say that is, is because as I started working with schools, I started to notice that theme of significant 72 first five. And then what happens though, once we get past that threshold of whatever it is, then we, we don't find a balance between the two of content and connections. We totally shift all the way over to content because yes. in our minds, what we can't grasp is how do you build relationships simultaneously while giving content and instruction, right? That is not taught in teacher preparation. It's not taught in those. And so what I tell schools are is, I'm so glad you invested significant 72 and first five. So Adam, this is not a dig at you. So please don't take this personal. I'm saying is, but then schools, what they do is they don't do anything to sustain the relationship. So then my question is, is when I come into the schools, I'm saying, okay, so you finish the 72, you finish the five next week. What are you going to do at least once time this week to build as Dave Stewart saw as a moment of genuine connection with kids? What are you going to do? And if you don't have a plan, then you're going to be winging it. And I love this phrase. You can't wing relationships. You may be able to wing content, but you can't wing relationships because kids need genuine and authentic relationships and connections, not something that's fake, right? So when you see this, Adam, this is my struggle is getting them to digest. Yes, we all believe what you just said, but then when the rubber meets the road and we actually have to put this work in, this is where we start to stumble. What are your thoughts on that? Totally true. I just met with my middle school staff yesterday and we, had, we did it via Zoom because I was at the high school and we didn't want to jeopardize any kind of cross-contamination and have any of us miss the next few days because of COVID. So I started the Zoom meeting with, it's, have you heard of the waterfall? It's a strategy? No. Waterfall strategy? No. You may have heard of it and it maybe it's a different name. Okay, yeah, I was going to say, maybe, go ahead. But uh, I just put on the opening slide while people were hopping into the Zoom meeting. I just said, hey, write down one positive thing, but do not enter it into the chat. Do not hit return until I tell you to. Okay. Because you know what happens in school, middle schools in particular, maybe high schools as well. Like I said, I'm still learning the clock that makes a high school kid tick. At the middle school though, if I'm that more introspective student and the teacher says, write down one positive thing and everybody puts their answers up on the screen, I'm probably going to find one of those answers that fits very close to what I'm thinking and just put it in there and say ditto or whatever. So it's called the waterfall effect. So I can go ahead and take attendance in my class they can all have it entered and waiting to hit return. And then I say, okay, everybody hit return. And it's the waterfall. It all pops mm, in there at one time. Okay. So everybody sees it. And it, that's a real simple strategy. So yesterday with our staff meeting, we didn't belabor the point, but they understood it. They're a quick read, but it was fun to see all of their positive comments and they were reading them simultaneously. Imagine if that was about students. So tell me one positive thing that happened this weekend. And then that teacher could either take it down the, a road for, you know, an additional 60 seconds and address that one student and what they experienced or say, hey, Kevin, which of these do you most relate to? You know, if, if they have that connection that they could have you answer that or make right. a connection with. So I've been trying to include ways that we can keep those connections alive with the tools that we're using right now, because I think that's important. You know, some of the significant 72 things were face to face. 
well, we're not face-to-face all the time, or we have some students in class and some at home. So trying to, to bridge the gap is, has been difficult, but it's not impossible. We can still build relationships. In fact, I would say during the pandemic, I've grown my PLN, my professional learning network via Twitter, Voxer, podcasting, more than I ever could have had I done it in person. You and I could not have connected today without planning airplanes and hotels and whatever. So we're connecting today via Zoom and, and it's very fruitful, I think. I mean, I'll have to ask you if you think it is, but I think it's fruitful. So I think it's, again, we have to continue to pepper that each week and every time I meet with staff members. So I just started. So only yesterday, what did we do so far? And I have a list of ways that we can continue the significant 72 strategies so that we can just glance back at that. Because I know how it is. Once you're in the battle, sometimes you forget, what, what's something that I can do today? Just a, a quick, while I take attendance, how can I get my students engaged and focused on them? So, oh yeah, I, I can do that waterfall thing that Adam showed us. So I'm trying to build a, a database that teachers can just fall back to because they are, this year, it's like having two schools. They're running their physical classroom and a virtual classroom. So I get it. They are burdened more than they ever have been. So if I can make it lighter by providing them a database that they can just quickly glance back to and remember how to use it, that's, I think, heading in the right direction. So ongoing remembrances of the significant 72, the five, uh, just tips and tricks to keep the focus on relationships. You know, a struggle I have this year, I don't know a lot of my fifth graders coming into the middle school and I can't, they, they have masks on. I almost think that we should tell them get a white mask and put a black marker to put their name on because it's going to be hard. And I, I appreciate it. I like it when parents or teachers say, Hey, Adam, I like hearing my name. It feels good. Mm-hmm. You feel known. Absolutely. So I want our students to feel known. And that's a, that's a hurdle that I'm not quite sure how to overcome yet without memorizing their school pictures. Yeah, that's a tough one. And as I mentioned earlier, I was in Nashville two weeks ago training a school in Henry County system. So it's, it's a rural school two hours outside and I had not experienced what you're experiencing, Adam, because I'm not in a school system. So I really don't know what it's like to lead. So I'm, I'm literally using you as the artery to find out what it feels like, right? But for the first time, I had 90 students, aka high school teachers, sitting in a gym in chairs, six feet apart. Majority of them wore masks. Some of them didn't. It was, I guess it was given up to them because they were six feet apart. Okay. And, and for the first time, I'm delivering my content as a teacher, right? And I can't read facial expressions because all I can see are the eyes, right? I can see a little bit of like, oh, that may have been a smile or was that a frown or what, what it was, right? And it hit me about three hours in, I was like, this is more difficult than I thought. Yes. And then when I, I was driving back two hours to Nashville, one of the things that, that hit me was the realization, I said, oh my God, this is what educators are experiencing with students that are coming in masks. And, you know, I'm struggling. I can only imagine, that was the tip of the iceberg for just six hours with them, what your daily interactions look like on nonverbal communication, or I never even thought about facial recognition. Oh my God, that, that's, that's a really, really powerful, realistic part of the pandemic that we're having to deal with. And I think that that's a struggle that I think other administrators and other leaders and teachers are experiencing too. It is totally true, spot on. Well, hey man, I know we're running up on our hour and I wanna, I wanna respect your time and our listeners' time, but, but I would tell you, Adam, I think the conversation that we've had today has been very, very enlightening for me but I also hope that our listeners can get an opportunity to understand you're, you're in a very unique situation. And I think those situations 
you're not the only nomad administrator. I can promise you that. No. So, so I think what I want our listeners to take away are, are some of the things that you've been hopefully been able to share with them today, but really when it comes to things that ultimately can continue to impact them, just like with Dr. Prickett, I want to give a shout out. I want them to let them know. So can you talk a little bit about the podcast and how they can continue to hear more about what you're doing in the, in the principal leadership lab. So here's a shout out for you and how people can follow you and get a chance to hear what you talk about. I love the principal leadership lab because it, it does model of, like you said, let's try this and, and experiment with it. So let's share with people what about the podcast and what you're, what you're passionate about. Thanks for the opportunity. The principal leadership lab was really born from conversations. Dr. Jeff and I, Jeff, we talk all the time and we've talked all the time over the last two and a half decades about either family or school or research, learning, whatever it was. And we, you know, at one point we're like, you know what, we should record this because I bet other people would want to hear it and we'd laugh. Well, at the beginning of COVID-19, we decided, you know what, we have a, not a lot of time because really Zooming takes a lot of time. Six meetings a day, that they're an hour piece, so your day's done, you know. Yep. But uh, there was different time, kinds of time. I, I wasn't supervising sporting events. Or, you know, that provided opportunity. So I don't like to leave opportunities on the table and Jeff and I connected. And so the principal leadership lab was born from our conversations that we used to have on the phone. Now we've expanded into having guests, which is great because I get tired of talking to Jeff all the time. So it's nice to have somebody to bounce ideas off of. He would expect that comment. So it's not offensive. And uh, it's, it's just a conversation about what have you done in your school or in your leadership struggle and how have you overcome it? And just to hear people be real is really important because like you said, I'm not the only nomad principal out there. So if we can provide a platform for people to grow and learn together, that's we're, that's the battle. We're getting there. And uh, recently we've started to go into not just principal leaders, but teacher leaders and leaders in general. Uh, we had one of my former students come on. I can't wait for that episode to air because if I could leave everybody with that one bit of message is that our words are the most powerful tool we have as a group of educators. Uh, her name is Lindsay. And uh, so on the Principal Leadership Lab, probably in three or four weeks, she'll be on. It'll be all over our Twitter feed and our Facebook page for the Principal Leadership Lab. But Lindsay, she, she saved her first quarter or second quarter report card with my handwriting on it because my words to her were super powerful. Now, when she showed me that, you know, maybe a year ago, I didn't remember writing it. So I'm just glad that what I try to do is do the best I can in every moment because you never know who's listening and who's watching and who's doing the reading. So my words to Lindsay at that time of her life were more important to her than they were to me. And uh, it, that episode is, it's one of my favorites because it's dealing with the people that we went into this profession for, the students, and we have no idea how many times our either powerful words or lack of care or lack of words has played a role in a student's life. So be very, very cautious because the smallest thing makes a big difference. If you want to get in touch with me, I'm on Twitter very regularly. It's at A-D-E-W-I-T-T, -E -E the number two. And that's probably the easiest way. And then, of course, through the Principal Leadership Lab. And right now, Kevin, we've been airing an episode on Monday and Thursday. So two a week. Awesome, brother. Well, hey, man, I just want to thank you for your time and what you bring to the table. I think, as you mentioned earlier, without this pandemic, my PLN would not have, we wouldn't have even met. Probably um, if, if it would have been a regular school year, I wouldn't yeah. have known how amazing Adam is and, and, <laughs> and how jovial he is and how you and Dr. Prickett are the yin and yang of each other. But no, <laughs> I, I, I would not have met so many amazing educators. So, you know, I think we're, 
we all need to embrace this pandemic and recognize that we're going through it for a reason and it's a season, but as if we'll grow through this and we'll listen to each other and we'll take chances and we'll see what works and what doesn't work. I think that's the only way that we're going to learn and grow from this and through it instead of, you know, letting it define us is learning to reshape. And I think that that's what I'm very proud of being an educator is, is because I think we're so resilient during times like this and that we reshape. And, you know, as a science, as, a, as another science teacher, liquid takes the shape of their container. Mm-hmm. And I think education has, the container has just been reshaped in it's amazing that we continue, no matter what our experiences are, no matter what we're leading, no matter what we're teaching, we continue to take the shape of our container. So I want to thank you for your time. Thank you for your input. Any last words from Mr. Adam DeWitt today? No, I'm just very grateful to continue our conversation because I think it's, we have a lot of commonalities. So the, the, the broader the spectrum to share that with other people, I think the better we all are. So thanks for including me today, Kevin. Absolutely. Well, you and I are going to, again, I think we're still going to talk eventually about having a, a spinoff with bows and, and bros or something to be deer <laughs> hunting right. with the bows <laughs> and stuff like that. But hey, for our listeners, I just want to thank them for tuning in today. I really hope that not only do you feel that you feel that today's show brought you value, but it made a significant difference in, in one thing. You know, if you found a difference in finding one tool to make a difference for one kid or one teacher to go back in your classroom, then I think today's episode was worth it. I'm just going to ask our listeners, continue to tune into the episodes, continue to check us out at rclfirst.com. But I'm hoping that today's episode and everything that we do in our work makes you feel valued, seen, and heard. And we will connect with you next time. 